Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're new to this channel, welcome. We're glad you're here and we pray that God will meet you through his word. We're in a series right now in John's gospel called Life Full and Unending. But today's passage talks about something that most of us struggle with, waiting. I remember talking with my father-in-law years ago about the changes that the fax machine brought to his work life. Before there were faxes, if someone asked you for something, you'd promise them that you'd mail it. But with the postal service, you always had a day or two buffer. With fax, all of a sudden, your clients knew the very second you had completed their request. Expectations were raised and the margin of time disappeared. That was in the 80s. Fast forward today, to today, and we're constantly connected with email, group chats, and cell phones. And it's changed us. One study found that we've actually increased the pace of our walking by 10% in the last 30 years. Researchers have tried to quantify how short our fuse has become. They say that the average person will wait just 26 seconds before they hush someone who's talking in the movie theater. People will wait just 13 seconds before they honk at a car that stopped at a green light. And if we click on a YouTube video, we'll click away if it doesn't load in less than two seconds. How do you think that impacts your relationship with God? When we pray, we expect God to deliver faster than Amazon. And if he doesn't, we take it personally. The Bible describes God's people as those who wait on the Lord. But if we refuse to wait, it can have disastrous consequences. Where are you feeling impatient in your relationship with God? What makes you impatient with other people? What are the areas where the delays are tempting you to click away or at least feel irritable toward him? I want to encourage you to think about those as we look at a passage where Jesus made someone wait for what seemed like an impossibly long time. It shows us why he waited and why it was good that he did. And it gives us insight into what God may be doing when we're the ones waiting on him. Uh, the passage is found in John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll start reading at John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciple said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken 
of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is the word of God. Now, the scene opens in verse one, slowly and dramatically. We're told that someone is sick, then we're given his name, his hometown, the names of his sisters, and then an interesting detail about one of the sisters. All of this is very deliberate and very important. The sick man is named Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. It's the first time that we've been introduced to them in John's gospel, but the early readers would have known them by reputation. Verse 2 says of Mary that she anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, this is an episode that's described in detail in John chapter 12. She takes a large container of incredibly expensive perfume and anoints Jesus' feet with it. Then she wipes his feet with her hair. <laughs> now, can I just check in with the ladies who are listening as a reference point? How much would you have to love someone to clean their feet with your hair? And remember, this is at a period before sidewalks and asphalt roads where people would walk through the sand and dirt in sandals. Most people wouldn't clean your feet with a toilet bowl brush, let alone their hair. But this is given to show us the depth of Mary's love. She loved Jesus deeply, and so did Martha and Lazarus. It's important that we know that because it shows us we've got a classic case of a bad thing happening to a good person. Now, the sister sent word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. But notice what they say. In verse 3, it says, Lord, he whom you love is ill. As much as they loved Jesus, they had an overwhelming sense that Jesus loved them more. Despite the crowds, regardless of the schedule, they knew that Jesus cared for them deeply and personally. And we're told all of this up front because when bad things happen, we're often tempted to think that maybe it's because God doesn't love us. Or else it's because we don't love him enough. Maybe we failed him in some way. Or maybe he's angry or disappointed with us. But the sickness of Lazarus and the delayed response to Mary and Martha's request, they show us that trail, trials and waiting are a normal part of even the healthiest relationship with Jesus. Our problems don't prove that there's a problem with God's love for us or ours for him. So don't assume that they do. But what is the explanation then? Why does God keep us waiting? Why doesn't he respond the way we expect him to? Jesus gives us three reasons. First, when you wait, God may be seeking to display his glory. While we're fi fixated on the quick fix, God may very well be preparing something greater. He often looks to reveal something of himself and the challenges of life. When we wait, God may be seeking to display his glory. Oh, we see that in verse 4. He's just gotten an urgent message about someone he cares for deeply. It must be serious because Jesus at this point is about 150 kilometers away. 
So for them to get a message to him there has involved significant effort. For you or me, we'd hear this and we'd probably panic at the news. We'd rush off. But Jesus isn't in a rush. Listen to his response in verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, as we'll see, technically this illness did lead to death. But his point is that it didn't end in death. There was a greater purpose in it. God was going to do something incredible through this sickness. He was going to demonstrate his power and mercy. He was going to show his authority over death and his ability to bring resurrection. What Jesus did through Lazarus' life was profound. But it only came after profound grief and loss. It involved waiting. And even then, it involves a recognition that there's something greater than getting what we want fast. Back in the 80s, a certain pizza company that we don't need to mention decided the way to beat out the competition was to promise to deliver it in 30 minutes or free. It was a wildly successful campaign. People lapped it up. They proved that you don't need to make better pizza as long as you give people faster pizza. <laughs> We're so addicted to fast, we almost don't care what it tastes like. And we can bring the same attitude into our relationship with God. We don't want God's glory. We want 30 minutes or free. Put yourself in Mar Mary and Martha's shoes. If you knew that your brother's death would result in resurrection and an unforgettable miracle that showed you and everyone close to you who Jesus really is and what he promises, would you ask for it? Or would you ask for a little less glory? Would you ask Jesus to skip the resurrection thing and just heal Lazarus instead? Would you ask him to avoid the grieving and loss part? We want shortcuts instead of the deeper work that God wants to do in our lives. So when you wait, God may be seeking to display his glory, but he also may be trying to show you his love. What we can often interpret as examples of God's disinterest or inability may actually be demonstrations of his kindness. When we're waiting, God may be trying to show us his love. In verse 5, we, we, we're already partway through the story, but the action stops and we're given this reminder. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, we already knew this, but if we didn't confirm it here, we might doubt it. Because listen to what it says next. So when he learned that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. See the connection? He loved, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he stayed longer. In this case, Jesus' love makes the wait longer, not shorter. The geography and the distance involved help explain what's going on in Jesus' thinking. We know from the end of chapter 10 that Jesus and the disciples are about 150 kilometers north of Bethany, where Lazarus is dying right now. That puts him a four-day journey away. If he rushes back as soon as he gets the news, he'll still arrive after Lazarus has died. But if he heals him then, it'll look more like a resuscitation 
than a resurrection. He wants to do something bigger in his friend's life, but it'll involve some waiting. His love for Lazarus drives him to do that. And in case we might doubt that, we're given a little exchange between Jesus and the disciples in verses 8 to 10. It shows us how dangerous the trip was. When he tells the disciples that they're heading back to Judea near Jerusalem, it's clear they're genuinely worried. They've just come from there and the authorities had tried to stone him. A return just doesn't seem safe. Jesus reassures them in verses 9 and 10 with these words. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, it, it sounds like a riddle. But what he's saying is that just as you can't change the number of hours in a day, the plans of people who oppose him can't cut short his mission. We would say, when it's your time, it's your time. But more than that, he's saying that the safest place to be is in the will of God. When you walk in the light, even when there are threats and dangers, you have God's security and his protection. But if you let fear keep you from doing what's right, you'll end up stumbling in the darkness. And the point of the exchange is to show us that it's not fear or self-interest that delays Jesus. In fact, he's willing to go to his friend despite the dangers. At the same time, God's love for us sometimes motivates the delays that we experience. Now, I struggle with that. I struggle with that because I like 30 minutes are free. I don't like to wait for anything. I get impatient waiting to, for the barbecue sauce to come out of the bottle, let alone waiting for the bigger things in life. But if I know that the, white, the wait may be an expression of God's love for me, it makes it a little easier to take. And the scriptures remind me that there are lots of situations where it's crucial that I learn to wait. So for instance, in Psalm 27, it, 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 it describes a situation where it feels like everything is against you. But the invitation is to trust in God's goodness and wait. It says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take refuge. Wait for the Lord. That, that's in Psalms, but in the book of Lamentations, it describes a different situation. It's a situation where life is in a huge mess. Everything seems to have fallen apart, but the prescription is the same. Trust in God's goodness and wait on him. Chapter 3, verse 25 says this. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Now, one of the hard situations where we need to wait is when someone has wronged us. It's so easy to take the shortcut of getting your own revenge. But again, God calls us to wait. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says this. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. It's like we have to train the 30 minutes or free mindset out of ourselves, and by faith, trust that there's blessing in waiting on the God who loves us. Often I think we're just forced to wait. 
But when we can see God's timing as an expression of love, we can actively choose to wait. We can embrace the waiting. Now, we've said that when we wait, God may be seeking to display his glory and show us his love. But he also may be trying to deepen our faith. The difficult work of waiting can have the good result of spiritually maturing us. When we wait, God may be trying to deepen our faith. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus makes a shocking statement. He says this, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Did Jesus really just say that he was glad he wasn't there when Lazarus died? In other words, he was glad that he didn't prevent Lazarus's death because he knew that he could accomplish something greater through Lazarus's resurrection. It would help the disciples believe. Now, at this point, it wasn't as if the disciples didn't believe, but their faith was like ours, a little underdeveloped. There was so much they still didn't understand. There was so much that they struggled, struggled to believe still. Even in this passage where uh, we're, we're, we're reading, there, there are examples of that. So when Jesus speaks of waking Lazarus up from his sleep, they actually think that Lazarus is just taking a nap. He has to spell it out for them because they still have so little spiritual discernment. And when Jesus does plainly say that Lazarus has died and that he's going to go to him and raise him up despite the dangers he would face, Thomas says in verse 16, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> Thomas was like us. He had great intentions, but still very immature faith. He didn't really grasp what was going on. He says he's prepared to die with Jesus. But not only was that not the plan, but when Jesus eventually did face a real threat, Thomas, along with the other disciples, were nowhere to be seen. Great intentions, but immature faith. What Jesus was doing through this delay was what he's often doing in our lives, trying to deepen our faith. And so often the struggle that we have with God is that we want 30 minutes are free more than we want to grow. We want meals that we can microwave and spirituality that's pre-cooked. But the work that God wants to do in our lives, it takes time. It involves waiting. What this passage is showing us is that the waiting is good for us. The waiting leads to glory. The waiting is an expression of God's love. And the waiting deepens our faith. Eugene Peterson has a brilliant paraphrase of Romans 8, 24 and 25. It says this, waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but he says, the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. We need to treat our waiting like pregnancy. <laughs> when we trust that God is doing something meaningful in our lives as we wait on him, then the waiting becomes expectation. The waiting is infused with hope. And I think we all need to hear that. We need to hear that as we end, as we wait on the end of a pandemic that feels like it's been just too long in coming. 
We need to hear that as we face obstacles and challenges and difficulties in our lives that we just wish we could put behind us. But we only experience this as we trust God while we wait. He wants us to seek his glory. He wants us to rest in his love and to invite the deepening of our faith. And to do that, we need to constantly deal with our 30 minutes or free attitude. And to be completely honest, I find all of this very hard to practice. And if you find this hard, there's something that makes this slightly less hard. When I struggle to wait for God, I remember how he waits for me. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, there's an amazing promise. And it says this, The Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Now, do you find it a little strange that it says the Lord waits to be gracious to you? Do you know why that is? He's waiting to be gracious here because the people refuse to look to him for their help and salvation. They wouldn't trust him. They look to other people and other gods for their help. And it's the same when we look to our quick fixes instead of him for salvation and blessing. But notice what he's doing when we were looking for help in those wrong places. He's waiting for us. He's waiting to be gracious to us. He's waiting to bless us. I wouldn't do that for me. You wouldn't do that for you. But that's what God does for us. Romans 10 verse 21 says this, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God is so patient with us that he waits for us. And we're not, we're not much worth waiting for. How much more should we be willing to wait for him when, he knows, when we know how much he loves us? Now, some of you hearing me right now are choosing the quick fix of a person or a temptation or the false sense of relief that comes with grumbling and complaining. By faith, choose to wait on the Lord instead. What God wants to do in our lives isn't delivered in 30 minutes or free, but it tastes so much better. Choose glory. Choose the love of God. Choose to grow and wait on the God who waits on you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so often finding ourselves in this position where we want you to act and we want you to act now. We want our situation fixed. We want our problems to go away. Would you heal us of our craving for the quick fix? Would you help us to see in you and see and trust in you the glory, the love, and the maturing that deep in our hearts we truly long for? Father, even now, we just embrace the waiting. We embrace what you're doing in our lives through the waiting. We pray that you would change us, 
We pray that you would mature us. And like that pregnant mother, we pray that you would fill us with joy and expectation as we hope in you and we set our sights on your great love for us in the many ways and the many times when you have been patient with us when we wouldn't have been patient with ourselves. Praise you, Father, for your goodness in our lives. We wait on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see the glory, the love, and the growth that God is preparing when we have to wait. I hope it helps you to embrace your waiting and trust God's goodness in the midst of it. If you have questions or an interest in learning more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus, then send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.